another episode of Drinks and Dogs. Um, again, like, you know, the whole purpose of Drinks and Dogs is sharing different perspectives throughout the dog world and, you know, and, and different just varieties of dog training because, you know, obviously that's really important for everyone to understand. Um, and today uh, we have Eric Stanbro and Ted Summers, um, two of the people that I respect, you know, quite highly and like actually the most like in like the law enforcement um, and military working dog side. Uh, and, you know, these guys come from, you know, different backgrounds and, you know, they do different things now. And then there's tons of different stuff that they've been working on. Um, but, yeah, I want to, you know, thank you guys for being on here. Uh, you know, Eric uh, Van SK9, also HRD. Um, and I'm pretty sure you have a lot of other things that you've been working on. And then Ted, <laughs> Ted, uh, you know, yes. Towards <laughs> Light, uh, you know, HRD. Um, and then, you know, work or Working Dog Radio as well. Um, so, I mean, like, there's, Tons of stuff to talk about, tons of things to do. But, you know, cheers, guys. Thanks for being on here. I uh, appreciate you guys. And then you know, let's get into uh, – let's just go ahead and talk. So, um, you know, with you guys with uh, now doing with COVID stuff and all this other, has that hindered you guys at all? Uh, not really. I uh, – <clears throat> Torchlight does pretty much exclusively – so, well, I guess I can answer that a couple times. For Working Dog Radio, it doesn't because right. we – um basically are doing this uh so like we're not talking to anybody um on the torchlight side because we're exclusively law enforcement or military uh and my facility is closed like security access control gate we're an essential service because of the kennel and some other things um we have not experienced any disruption at all um, my training night is still tuesday nights my guys still come out um i got a big training i got a decoy school going on right now and i have a training night tomorrow night that i'm integrating my training night and my decoy school at the same time uh so it hasn't um hrd it threw a little hiccup in we canceled one some and a lot of that is kind of like par for the course so we kind of expected that uh but I mean, by and large, it hasn't affected us at all. So, Eric? Yeah, the um, so the police dog side of, of the house, um, I sold all the dual-purpose dogs in my kennel like the week before the quarantine, which was cr crazy how that happened. So I had some capital to work with. The uh, doggy daycare side of the business, I had to close that. Um, but the pet side exploded because I think people were home with their dogs and they're like, yeah, this dog sucks. Uh, <laughs> no, my dog's an asshole. Yeah, like, yeah, like, I'm not around this dog all day, ever. This dog's terrible. People are calling yeah. us in an emergencies, like nonstop. Um, so, you know, uh, I took the time to uh, reload the kennel with floppy ears this time. I got a whole bunch of, I got four hunting breeds for free, and then I bought three German short hair pointer puppies. And because I couldn't fly any dogs in from Europe, so I might as well get some, you know, single purpose dogs. And then I have a new big new training facility. We call it the HRD campus. I also call it the fun house. Um, I spent, I've been spending a ton of money and time getting everything already. Um, kind of worked on my, uh, on the, day, the daycare facility is also the pet training stuff. I rebuilt, I built up some fencing in there because we had dogs who were trying to gate dash. I had to change some things around, but, yeah, in April, I, I spent like 23000 on the business, sure. get, getting things ready. Yeah, but whatever. That's, that's why I saw that uh, when you started building that thing out. I was like, I, I think I DM'd you. I was like, damn, I was like, I need to come out and play. <laughs> God, he has a fucking gravestone in the basement. Like, no lie. An actual 
gravestone. It's a grave. So it's in the basement is a grave somewhere. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I don't know about nice, but the haunted building. <laughs> it's, dark, it, it's there, so there's that. <laughs> didn't you guys do? Didn't you guys do a? You guys did like an HRD thing, like at some like haunted prison or something like that. Oh, or? Moundsville, West Virginia. That was that. That was hairy. Uh, so Moundsville, it was in West Virginia. Uh, Moundsville, uh, their prison special operation team, the guys that hosted us, and um, it was a. I mean, it's, uh, it's now there's nobody there. Uh, I think the last time they were there, it was like in the 90s, right? Like, like when Clinton was in office is when the last prisoners were there. But it has um, a very storied history. And it was creepy as shit. And now they have a um, like a haunted house that's in there in October. So we were there, and I don't remember when we were there. It was hot as shit. But uh, we were running through the haunted house. We were using the haunted house to clear rooms. So you would like come around a corner, and there would be a fucking giant-ass monster uh, we were doing bites in the electric chair. <laughs> it, it, it was sketchy and it was super dark. I mean, you'd be in there at noon and you go inside and I mean, you put your hand like this and couldn't see your, like, couldn't see your hand. That's how dark yeah. it was inside. It, it was, it was on a different level of like, it was creepy as shit. Uh, we need to go back there. Uh, Ken Brewer was the handler that handled a dog named Hammer, I think. And he was the head guy for them, but that that was that was a good HRD. That was fun. We had a like pretty much the run of the facility, so they run tours there, and so the running tourists passed us. We got these big angry fucking police dogs, <laughs> like running around. I mean, they're on leashes, obviously, and I don't want to make it sound like they're just like out doing shit. Yeah. And, like civilians are like, holy shit, what the fuck, you know? And you know, we're out here biting people, and people are stopping and watching, and you know, we're doing certain scenario. We're doing like one of our scenarios. We go to the drum circle, and like right near the gift shop, and <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I got Maybe something extra that day. <laughs> I got something extra that day. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I saw I saw some of the posts of that. I was like, damn, I was like, that looks cool as fuck, man. I was like, I wish I would be able to be out there and do that stuff. That's just cool, man. Uh, that one was that, that one was definitely fun. So, uh, actually, Howard just—we uh, just talked about you, Howard, and you shaved your beard. You just oh, I can't believe he's and Howard <laughs> yes, shaved him. He—he he looks completely different. All right, so uh, we'll go into like basic questions before. Uh, Eric, how'd you guys? How'd you get started in dogs? Um, I was a cop, and in a, a Canton Police Department, in Canton, Ohio, very busy place, uh, very very busy canine unit. Um, and I always wanted, when I got on there, two things I wanted to do was SWAT and canine. And I got to do both. I got in the unit in 2005. Uh, 2010, I became the head trainer. Um, worked a dog and trained. Uh, 2014, I became full-time just training dogs there. Well, I did firearms and dogs. So my full-time assignment was dogs. It was pretty, pretty sweet. Nice, and and then you just you just went to. Did you always do uh, pets? Do you pets as well, or just starting pets? Just started. I started doing uh, summer of eighteen. Um, you know, I I forget who I talked to, and it was like you know, there's like, you know, for example, say there's three million dogs in the United States. There's like less than one percent of those make up the least dogs, and you know the competition. He goes, if you know the revenue stream wise, you should look into the pets and. I did, and it, they were right for me, anyways. This COVID stuff, you know, um, 
proved it. You know, when I had to shut down, we had to shut down HRD and a couple other businesses, the, the pet side stepped up. So, but yeah, that's what I did. Um, so now uh, I, I've been ex- mostly exclusively through the business working on the police dog side. I have other trainers to do the pets right now. So I've taken I myself, I have one right now, but uh, it was kind of a, one of those emergency situations we talked about where people say their pets yeah. suck. So we've had, I don't know how many times I've had the, the phone calls like throughout the day now or like, Oh no, my dog starts biting everything. And, like all this other stuff. So, <laughs> like starting to bite me, yeah. starting to bite the kids. I'm like, Oh, I mean, shit. I mean, yeah. here. <laughs> and uh, how'd you, how'd you get started with dogs? Um, so mine was a little bit of a roundabout deal. I never intended to be sitting here. Um, I raced, uh, bikes like bicycles, like pedals. Nice. Um, I was in Europe um racing at the time and taking a year off of college and we were staying in a big ass house and some big belgian dudes came over and said this is 1999 2000 somewhere in there and big belgian dude came over and was like you want to catch dogs i'm like you mean i call my bike and he's like yeah sure whatever so uh i didn't speak flemish i still don't and um because it sounds like they have a fucking mouthful of marbles so i show up and at the time i was fucking terrified like once i figured out what was going on i was like oh fuck i'm gonna die like this is terrible and uh so that's what we did for you know uh for several months um several months over three years so about 18 months total i spent over there over three years I came back and went to college. Um, one of my good friends, I was going to college here in Tulsa. One of my good friends' dad, I was canine handler for uh, St. Louis PD. Nice. And, um, you know, he told his dad, he was like, hey, my buddy was like doing this shit over in Europe and whatever else. And so I had no idea that I was being taught at the time, like how to um, be a good decoy. I didn't develop bad habits, I didn't do stupid shit. Um, and even before that, I always had like hunting Labradors and a couple of other dogs when I was a kid. Um, and even, I remember like 10 years old going to something here in Tulsa called TDTC, which is Tulsa dog training club and doing agility work with, um, a lab I had, her name was Claire is a big ass black, like hunting, or I'm sorry, chocolate, uh, lab hunting lab. And I did agility work with her and you know, I didn't intend to be doing this. So, you know, fast forward. Uh, I ended up getting a Malinois that I probably had no business having. Uh, some sheriff deputy saw it. He was can handler. He's like, "You want to sell your dog?" I'm like, "No." So I sold him anyway. And it just kind of like like rolled into the whole thing. I moved to Colorado and worked up there, um, doing some other stuff and working for a sheriff's department and running some of their um, doing some of their search and rescue work uh, with dogs and kind of morphed into. I, mean, I always had the bite works portion of the background um, and it just never, I mean, I never, not that I didn't ever take it seriously, but I never intended to be sitting like here doing what I'm doing. So um, I don't know, I guess it's kind of like a, a combination of like natural athleticism and the like refusal to do have a nat- normal job and I like dogs. So, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it, all, it all came together. That's usually yeah. what I'll do yeah. with us. And then you, you're still a you're, you're a PSA decoy, right? Yeah, I am a senior level PSA decoy. Um, I don't remember how many of us there are. There's not a ton, um, but yeah, I am a active PSA decoy uh, certified uh, senior level 
um, decoy for a PSA. So yeah, we, in fact, I think I'm supposed to be doing a trial here. Well, I was, but who knows what's going on with Corona Apocalypse. So that's so fun. That's like what, uh, so all my guys now are doing like PSA, like the two, uh, my two apprentices. So like we've been, they've been, oh, they've been certified now for the last year or whatever, but like it sucks. It's like they both got certified and all of a sudden, like now there's like no trials. Yeah. Well, I think most of the time, and this is something like way above my pay grade as far as PSA goes, but um, because I'm a senior level decoy, the requirements for us are a little different in terms of maintaining our certification. So the new guys uh, have to work more trials, which makes sense. I mean, you know, guys like me and like Josh Kirby and like Derek Rose and all those dudes, we've worked a lot of trials. And um, and even the like emeritus guys, um, like the OGs from PSA, like Daryl Ritchie and Sean Siggins and Jeff Riccio and all the guys like the next level above us are have worked hundreds of trials. So um, we definitely want to spread the love and make sure that those guys get an ample opportunity to um, work a trial. And um, they do it now. There's some rule changes, not rule, but like some kind of, I guess, policy changes where uh, we have certain numbers, certain senior level decoys that will be at a trial and then we'll kind of like it help with the, even after certification doesn't mean you're done. So like, you know, the senior decoys like kind of help kind of manage the younger guys, the intermediates and the beginner decoys and say, you're going to do this exercise and this, that and the other. And we kind of coach them and do the whole thing while we're doing it. So and it's something we've always done in the past. Um, like I remember working my first couple of trials under senior decoys under Derek Rose. Uh, and, you know, him helping me and, um, you know, telling me this, that, and the other. And then when I have new guys come on and then saying, you know, and then me helping them as the judge has got 5,000 other stuck things to worry about. So the decoys, we kind of like, we don't want to be a headache for the judge, first of all. And because a lot of the judges are also decoys. Uh, but we, you know, we kind of want to make sure that we're doing things correctly and we're getting the field set up or we're helping get the field set up with the club and that, you know, we're taking care of the shit that the decoys can take care of. So the senior decoy, uh, just from trial experience and just from catching dog experience kind of helps manage that whole other side of the trial. So it's kind of a big part of it, which I'm happy to do. That's so, awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. like the one that's like, Eric, did you do any support stuff before? Nope, not at all. Uh, just, just the police stuff. Um, when I got into the canine unit, the only thing we ever did was sleeve and scratch pants. Um, the USPCA has a, a sport wing, I guess, and we used to use uh, their PD-1 was their version of, a, I guess, a PH-1. Uh, PD-1 as the graduation test to graduate the uh, canine school. Um, and when I took over as canine trainer, I was like, yeah, I'm done with that fucking shit. We're not doing that. You graduate because I said you graduated. Um, and then, you know, yep. then we do the state certification. But, yeah, I, so all we did was just sleeve and scratch pants. Oh, rarely ever we were in the suit. Um, and then, you know, just kind of went from there. So uh, that's the cool thing. And that's, like, the stuff that I love, like, that you guys do, especially with, like, HRD, is, you know, the uh, adaptation of, like, putting sport decoys into police work. Like, do you guys ever feel like that's a, like there's a separation between sport decoying and police decoying? There is, the skill sets are different. Um, so in fact, I had work, I'm right now, today is the 25th and um, I had a, 
I have a, a HRD, so I own HRD and Torchlight and I'm working on grading on some other thing. But HRD has a decoy school going on right now at Torchlight. Um, so I had the conversation today. Um, I have a couple of law enforcement guys and then I have some sport guys there. And I said, you know, the skill sets for being a successful police decoy and a successful sport decoy are substantially different. Um, and on top of that, when we start looking at the difference between the way that those dogs are evaluated, um, even with USPCA or NAPWADA or NNDDA or whatever certificate, just pick one. They're all fucking close with the exception of one. Um, you know, those evaluations are, are very similar. Um, Sports, on the other hand, are way different. You get Mondia Ring, French Ring, PSA, KMPV, NBBK, all of these suit sports, and then add fucking IPO or whatever it's called now, um, IPO and American Shits into it. You know, you have these vastly different requirements for decoys. And um, the skill sets are, are magnificently different. So, um, for instance, today, uh, I have a bunch of cops here learning how to work leg dogs. And we have Jason Davis um, from Jacksonville, Florida, is one of the HRD instructors for um, the decoy stuff. Jason is a longtime fixture in the French ring community, is probably one of the better French ring decoys in the country. And I kind of made a joke today to these cops. I'm like, you guys have no idea who this motherfucker is, but this is one of the best French ring decoys in North America. And he's here teaching you how to get fucking leg dogs or how to work leg dogs and how to teach leg targeting. Uh, and Eric is drinking. What is that? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Don't mind me. I'm just making a joke. So um, there is a unique set of skills that go into working uh, law enforcement dogs versus sport dogs. I find that sport decoys for Mondio Ring, French Ring, and PSA tend to transfer the other direction transfer into law enforcement better than the other way, right? So they're not mutually exclusive. Um, and that's strictly suit time. I mean, most of these guys that are certified in either the sports spend more time in a suit in a month than a lot of canine handlers will in their entire career. So, I mean, it's literally like time in a suit. I mean, it is what it is. Those guys are really fucking good at catching dogs. They're really good at working dogs. And if you get a decoy that's really good at building dogs is training you on a trial decoy you have as a unit trainer i that motherfucker i would pay him or find a way to pay him them or her them and because that is such an underutilized and highly valuable position in maintaining a good patrol dog um and i mean it's literally these are the people that do it the most i, I mean it is what it is law enforcement companies or uh, agencies have no problem getting outside shooting instructors that are not law enforcement that that's their job like they teach shooting guys that teach defensive tactics guys that teach defensive driving guys that teach pit maneuvers i mean one of the best pit guys in the country was well, not a cop he yeah. worked for the he worked for the state department and so it's kind of one of those things like police officers in general especially canine handlers you know, you're a canine, you're a cop first and a canine handler second, right? So being a police officer means that you're a fucking social worker, you know, you're a mediator, you're a police officer, you're a fucking babysitter. And then on top of that, you're a fucking dog handler, right? And sometimes you're a SWAT operator. So you're doing all these other fucking jobs. So how, I, there's no way that we can expect these people to be like awesome at all of these things. So we require some specialization and to be successful, I think you need some highly specialized help 
from some very talented people. And that's where sport decoys come in because they take direction well. They have to. If they're going to be successful in sport, they have to take direction well. So you can have a unit trainer or a very experienced handler say, I need this or whatever this is. Like I'm having a problem with this, whatever that. And a sport decoy should be able to be like, all right, well, I mean, I don't know how to be a police officer and I don't know how to be a canine handler, but I know how to get this dog to go from A to B. Yeah, This is what we need to do. And that is a highly underutilized uh, source, I think. Eric, do you have any input on that one? <laughs> input on that one, Eric? Nope. That pretty much says it all. We, um, you know, well, I guess I do have a little bit of input. Um, one of the things that I changed with my um, training when I took over the training group, we, except for doing, getting ready for a state certification, we started eliminated all long sends um now if i get a sport yeah. decoy that, that comes out sure we'll we'll work on it but you put average swing and dick cop in a bite suit he is hurting dogs maybe yeah. maybe not right there then and there but in the long run they just don't catch well i have a couple guys that can and i trust those guys but then what happens is i end up doing all the decoying for the long uh sends and it, it sucks after a while and um so that's one thing we do at HRD is there are no long sends. We do none. And I, when I do a full class, I don't do any. Um, it used to be that's yeah. all we did. Every single day when I got into canine, it was all long field bites. That's it. And uh, maybe a bite in a building, but but all long field bites. We got rid of that. But like um, Jake Scott that you had on here last time, uh, Jake lives an hour from me. And uh, we met through social media and he he went to decoy and he came down he was uh in you know started in the mondial ring stuff and um he decoyed the first day i think 14 dogs 14 or 15 dogs three four bites per dog all of them in a row he, he took a break for a second back in the suit now that's some shit that i do uh still to this day ted does it and everything like that but no other cops are doing that they're just yeah. not going to do it. So when the guy shows up, and if you don't know Jake, he's got tattoos on his head and his face and his neck, and um, he's Jewish, but he looks like a white supremacist. Yeah. Um, True story. Jake. Yeah. But the dude, the, the sport decoys flat out will catch more dogs, will work harder. They just will. Yeah. The, the regular training handlers won't. They'll do two or three dogs. That's it. Jake what? did 14. Three or four, and I I sent some motherfuckers after him too. Like <laughs> he wore this suit. He wore this suit for the first time. I don't know. It was made of paper mache or something. And um, I sent his dog Vlad, who just retired Friday. Vlad is one of those murder dogs, right? Like just a killer. The way he bites, and you you see when Vlad's biting here, he's actually swallowing. He's trying to eat you. Um, so I hit Jake in a closet behind a a couple real tall gymnastic mats. So the dog had to climb up over the mat and uh, Vlad goes in there and bites and we get done. Jake goes, uh, yeah, I need to change suit tops. I miscalculated that. And, yep. uh, but he went out to his van, grabbed another suit, 13 more dogs over and over and over again. Uh, so it, that's, you know, we find this a lot where police agencies close, close ranks and don't let, you know, outside decoys in, that's a humongous mistake. They're just, it's humongous. 
And I think like, and that's like an important thing, like even like the we deal with over here is that the, the thought process of allowing like civilian decoys into there as long as they're qualified and work with like agencies. Like, you know, that's one thing that we, we deal with out here. It's like, you know, okay, like I get like, you know, it saves you money on this part, but it's in the save your life on another way. Um, as long as you teach, you know, the dogs, the proper things, because we have a lot of like, especially in California, we have a lot of, you know, deep rooted, um, I guess, trainers like in our industry over here. Uh, and we have like a lot of bad techniques. I mean, I can't tell you. I won't mention like in, any of the agencies or anything. Like that. Oh, like, we know, people, like, we know them. But, like, like, we, like, uh... like we go in and like you know it's just like, bro, like your dog is not like it's not gonna it won't really bite somebody. You're actually hindering your officer's life by by this and you know and like that's that's a problem to me. Like that's why I think it's really important that. And that's why I really love like what you guys are doing is that, you know, you're building, you're bringing in, you know, sport decoys, guys who put the reps in, who do the work and do all this other stuff, you know, and bring them into the the police world. Cause I, I feel like that's, you know, extremely important. Um, you know, even just like, you know, it just people who decoy and decoy well, you know, bring them into that world. You know, so I, 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 you know, I think that's something that's needed and, and very important. Yeah. And, and one of the main things, that we're doing the HRD decoy camps is getting the sport decoys to learn that there's a little bit difference of, uh, of the police decoy and stuff. For example, if you're just a straight up Mondial ring decoy or French ring decoy grips, aren't judged. So it doesn't matter if the dog's holding on with one tooth, it matters for us. So, yep, right. you know, we get a, we get a guy. So then we work on, you know, if, if they're a, if they're a, a, a sport decoy that works in a, in a sport that, where grips don't matter. The first day of HRD after Ted and I do our presentation, we're all grip checks and we have them do it. And then they're listening to us talk to the handler about that driving, punching in and the grips and things like that. And they pick up the sport guys pick up on it really quickly. Plus they're all very athletic folks. Yes. So that's, that's another thing too. Like if you were as to pick like an actual like sport that fit best for you know, law enforcement, military, what you guys do, what would you guys pick the sport? What, what sport would it be for you guys? PSA. Um, yeah. For those that don't know the background of PSA, um, it was started by Jerry Bradshaw, who owns Tar Heel Canine out in North Carolina. It's been on the podcast several times. He has his own podcast, Controlled Aggression, has a book called Controlled Aggression. It's kind of like one of the godfathers of what I would consider modern canine shit. Um, and his uh, partner, Sean Siggins at Torchlight, or I mean, not Torchlight, at uh, Tar Heel is also probably one of the best law enforcement decoys in the country, a fantastically decorated and talented canine handler in his own right. Um, but PSA was started by that group. Um, the exercises in PSA, uh, with the exception of the long sins, um, so the fend off exercises, the environmental shit, that kind of stuff is a lot of the same things that we teach to patrol dogs in terms of skill sets. We show patrol dogs much more variety, um, but in terms of what the dogs see environmentally and the pictures they go through to get to decoys and then having multiple decoys and all that kind of stuff, um, PSA is probably the closest thing we have to law enforcement, specifically the fend off uh, and specifically some of the passive biting. So for some of the ring sports, a passive decoy is an automatic signal to the dog to out. So as soon as you go past it, the dog automatically outs. Um, there are several other things in PSA. Um, 
and this is not a knock about any of the other sports or anything else, but we fucking hit dogs in PSA. We hit them with sticks. We hit them with fucking can curtains and we apply a shit ton of pressure. Um, and, and Eric, you know, Eric, and I did it today in decoy camp. Uh, we're talking about like what that pressure looks like to a patrol dog versus what that pressure looks like to a, um, to a, to a sport dog. So when I start training patrol dogs, um, when we're starting to teach a specific type of grip that we teach, um, I use positive punishment um, and negative reinforcement to reinforce those behaviors as a decoy. And sometimes that involves some pressure from the decoy to prevent the dog from doing things that you don't want them to do. And, you know, we don't do that shit in sport work. So in terms of producing patrol dogs, the closest thing we have, um, I think, is, um, is PSA. Um, the biggest thing about it too is that it's unscripted. So with Mondial Ring and French Ring and KMPV and IPO and all these other sports, you know, like you have a rule book. So you have da, 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 down the line, this is what's going to happen. You know, you on one end you have IPO, which is scripted to the point where, you know, leave it to the Germans to suck the fun out of anything. You know, it, it is literally like they count the number of fucking steps they can track it. You go the which so. And IPO, you're judged on precision, like how close you can train to a prescribed standard. So you've got a tiny box and how close you get to this prescribed standard is what this judged on. When you look at the IPO scores, you see that and that, you know, first through whatever place is separated by tens of points. You contrast that with PSA, which is on the complete other end of the spectrum. So that sport is designed to showcase control. And in that sport, it is very rare, and I'm trying to think, and as I was thinking about this, I can't think of a dog, that was handled by somebody that wasn't intimately involved in the training of that dog. So the handler is an integral part of the, of the trial process where, you know, especially in the later phases of training and in the later phases of trialing, you're asked to do things as a handler where you have to make decisions. Um, can I bleed points here and still trial? Can I can I do this? Is the dog strong at this? Is he not strong at that? So you have to make decisions. You have to be intimately involved. And as a canine handler, you're presented with random shit all the time. And that's Eric's big deal about environmentals. And it's not the point of when would this ever happen? It's like it's already happened in training, so it's not a surprise. And in PSA, we we look for handler control more than anything else and how the handler chooses to problem solve like given a scenario um that may be completely outlandish and we say you know how, you know how do you solve it given your dog's relative strength and weaknesses and your strength and weaknesses as a handler and, and there's no other sport that asks them to do that uh, monitoring does in a couple of places but psa is is an extreme version of that and when you look at the upper levels, it looks like it's fucking out of control and fucking crazy. And it's because we're showcasing control. Um, the big knock with PSA and I'll address this right now, because I know somebody's going to mention it is that the dogs aren't, um, they're not real or whatever. So um, people mistake control for lack of vigilance. I've worked some PSA three dogs and there's only 22 PSA three dogs in the world. And that's not for lack of trying. Um, I've worked some PSA three dogs that will absolutely fucking wreck your world. You could be wearing a fucking bunny costume. They'll bite the shit. They'll bite aliens. They don't care. <laughs> and so this whole thing about control 
and it is a decrease, a diminishment of like a how a dog is real, and people are mistaking a lack of control for a lack of vigilance. A PSA three dog, that motherfucker's only purpose in life is to bite fools, and it's like putting a genie back in a bottle. And that dog's entire life is built around drive capping. And if that handler hiccups incorrectly or does something else, they're going to bite people. And they are definitely, they do not lack vigilance. Um, I can't think of a PSA 3 dog that I've worked that wouldn't bite somebody. Like, if the handler was like, fuck it, Stellan, they're going to bite him. Like, it's like a <laughs> foregone conclusion. I mean, it, and I mean, and convincingly, one in Texas, the dog's named Kilo. He's going by Kendall now. And then uh, Megan Hamby's dog, Felon. Like, that dog would bite the shit out of you. She's super social, but I mean, if Megan was like, "Oh yeah, bite him," I, uh, that dog would bite people. <laughs> like, it's like, I mean, so yeah. Like my, uh, that's like my dog server. So literally, like, I can point him at a tree stub and like, fucking, <laughs> then 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 it, it, it's it's there. Exactly. Eric, any any other sports you think about, Eric? No, you know, I've got um, Jake hooked me up with two different Mondio ring dogs. I agree 100% with, with what Ted said about PSA being the closest. Um, uh, you know, people, so there's there's a West Penn Mondial Ring Club over this way. There's a lot of people up in Ohio that belong to it. And uh, Jake hooked me up with a couple ladies that had dogs that, for whatever reason, weren't going to podium or they were just, you know, made the one dog, you know, from moving from one station to the next barks all the time. And, you know, they're losing points. And they just, she got tired of hammering on the dog. Um, so I bought the dog. And uh, so the two dogs that I've bought that are Mondial Ring dogs are amazing police dogs. Amazing. One's in Michigan and the other's in Aruba. Um, Envy and Notorious were the two dogs. That's the only thing. Guys, the sport guys with the names of the dogs. Yeah. Um, think, think forward that you might sell this dog. The dog's name was Notorious. I love it. But and I sold him to Aruba. They don't give a shit. But in the states, they would have changed that name. Um, I think I had one, <laughs> yes. I had a dog once named like uh, Satan or some shit like that. And I'm like, he. <laughs> so I changed it to Stephen. You know, it's close with a ph. Um, but anyways, uh, so so yeah, I. Um, but then you know, on the sports side, I I teach tracking. The, the beginning parts of my tracking like a like an IPO dog. Not not quite footstep to footstep, but nose down. I use food and and I teach, you know, that that type of tracking. Um so I you know and I took that from IPO guys that taught me that stuff. So um but yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's that's the one thing I did take away from like when I did when I was like a shits and helper like whatever, 15, 16 years ago. And like you know, digging in like the heel, like into like the like the hot dog, like actually digging in so like the nose has to actually go in and drive and get it. Like that was like one of the like the cool things I took away from that because you know just having them actually not just seeing it and like visually doing it, but smelling for it. You know that was one thing I did like with tracking. I was like, oh, that's just you know that's just dope. Yeah. So real real quick, you know, I see on some of the forums and stuff, guys will get on there and, and badmouth sport police handlers usually, um, or badmouth sport dogs. Sport in Europe is the reason why we're still able to get good dogs. Yep. It, it, plain and simple. It's the reason we're able to get, there's a reason why those lines and those lineage and that genetics are still there. It's because of sport. That's it. 
The nastiest police dog we ever produced had an IPO one. And it took him three times to get that because he tried to kill the judge during tracking and during obedience. And, you know, I tell the joke, but it's really not a joke. You know, one of our vendors goes over and I'm like, go to this KMPB club or go to this MBBK club or go to this IPO club and be like, whose dog does everybody hate? And everyone there will point at this dude and be like, that motherfucker right there, everybody hates his dog because he doesn't out. He's a dickhead. He tries to bite everybody. And I'm like, perfect. I'll buy him. And they're like, oh, and they're like, oh, thank God! I thought I would never be because because then I mean because at that point you know they're faced with trying to title this dog and it's going to be a low point dog, yeah. right? Because the dog is just a fucking dickhead, and maybe it's some of the skill of the trainer, some of it's maybe genetic, like who knows, right? I mean, there's a myriad of reasons why, but those dogs end up being fantastic police dogs. I got a dog from a dude near Eric, um, who was on a uh, U.S. national team for IPO and on another country's team. And he had a dog, and he was like, you know, this dog is just not good for IPO. And I'm like, fuck does that mean? Because I, I can't stand people that are like, oh, my dog is too real for sport, which is completely stupid. Yeah. And then I can't stand the thing like, you know, they're like, oh, this sport dog can't do police work. So I was like, what the fuck do you mean? Right? Like, what does this mean? So I get the dog, and I know exactly what he means now. So the dog outs, and he outs. So in USPCA, for example, you have 45 seconds to out. All right, you tell a dog out, you get 45 seconds, right? Like, I can go to the bathroom and come back, and he, if he's still out, it's like, you know, you, you pass. With IPO, as soon as they say out, like the chewiness and everything else, you start bleeding points, right? This yeah. dog did not want to fucking out immediately, and he was just a dickhead. And fantastic patrol dog. He's already got a couple bites. Um, fucking people's days up in the county here in Oklahoma. and But he's a fantastic patrol dog. He was just a little... I don't know if it was he was raised a certain way or if it's genetic or combination of both, but I understood exactly what he meant when I got him. And I was like, yeah, this dog is just not, and especially the way that this guy trained in terms of he didn't like using a lot of pressure. Um, he let the dog to like self-discover a lot of shit. And the way the dog self-discovered was biting fools. So that was just the fall-like thing. He was like, well, I don't know what to do if I'm going to bite you. And that was his thing. And so that's what he does. And it's fantastic for dogs that are trained to find shit and bite people. And that's his default. But it was annoying as a sport dog uh, or as an IPO dog. And so I kind of like, I get that. Now, had this guy been a different type of trainer in terms of using quite a bit more pressure, from what I understand, the dog would have been fine, but you would have bled points in other areas, like in terms of the way the dog presented himself and all this other shit that I don't care about. I just need him to bite fools and not be scared of anything and find drugs. Yeah. That's what I care about. If he outs, I mean, when I say, hey, out, and he's like, uh, chomp, 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 okay, out, that counts. He said out. I didn't have a leash on him. I didn't tag him a bean collar. I mean, he's, he's outs. We're good. There's no points and in the so, real world. <laughs> just, it's no, just saving lives. Oh, yeah. No, well, there's one. It's either win or lose. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. That's it. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Eric, anything on that? Uh, no. <laughs> so, it's, a, it's a funny thing. It's like I came from, like, so I started in rescue when I was, like, whatever, 13 or whatever, because that was, that was part of my community service. Uh, and then I went into uh, Schutzen as a helper because I was boxing at the time. And, like, the, the guy who was mentoring me was like, okay, cool. You know, you, you have good footwork. You can use this stuff. Um, but there was, like, the same thing I thought was, like, because he was training police dogs at the time. My mentor, I was just like, all right, cool. I was like, but it's a sleeve. 
Like how do, how does this translate to a real world thing? Like even back then, I thought about that, and there was a dog named like Yoshi uh, that he was trying to get like something off of, and the dog he he something he couldn't out, and he was like you know Ted said like bleeding points, like he couldn't out. He just he bit the uh, the cotton sleeve so hard that he just couldn't pop his mouth off of the actual fucking sleeve. Like he just hit that oh, yeah. thing so hard, and I was just like, okay, like you know. I mean, where do you go from that? Like, as far as training, but I always thought that was funny. Cause, like, people was like, oh, yeah, sport dogs can't be real dogs. But, I mean, I mean, I think it's always independent on the dog in general. Oh, it definitely is dependent on the dog in general. And that is still the great debate in portions of our industry. And, you know, this dog is too real for sport, which is code for I'm not a good enough trainer to do sport. Yep. And um, so, you know, there, there's a dog. There's several dogs in PSA. Uh, the one that I'm thinking of has one leg of his three. The dog's name is Kilo. Uh, he's an Arco Kikert son. Um, and that dog is as real as any, any patrol dog I have ever seen. He's to the point where he is dangerous. Um, he is yep. a dangerous dog. I am a good handler. I am a good trainer. And I know... A, maybe a handful of handlers that I would turn that dog over to and say, yeah, he's going to be a good police dog. He would be a fantastic police dog with the right handler. Those handlers just don't really exist. And the, the, the highly specialized no. environment for that dog is so rare that the only um, – and Kendall, Kendall Bourne at St. Working Dogs um, owns him now. and Or, well, co-owns him or whatever. And the only environment that that dog really serves is using him for breeding to try and get some of that that we can control. Um, he was handled and trained by somebody that is a magnificent trainer and handler, and he is just one of those dogs that, and if you listen to Mike Suttle, Mike Suttle owned Arco, and that dog was a fucking serial killer. And they're just not, that's not what we want as police dogs. That is not, I don't, that is not what I need. And that dog, Kilo, will bite everybody. He'll bite, I mean, you know, I don't really want to tell the story about how Kendall came, got, got, managed to get a hold of him, but I mean, that motherfucker will bite whatever anybody for anything. And he's stable in a sense environmentally, but his threshold for bullshit is about that thick. And I've worked him in several trials. I worked him uh, the day that he got his first leg of his three, or his only leg of his three in PSA. And I was shocked that his handler was able to have that much control on that dog because it's a combination of defensiveness and the dog has just insane amounts of drive. And he is... Was it, is, is I, it was he a Duco dog? Uh, at some point. Yeah, Duco's been dead for fucking 20 years, though. I mean, everybody's dog is a Duco dog. I mean, that dog's been dead since Clinton was in office. I mean, I had a Duco dog at the time and didn't realize what it was because it was 19 or it was 2000-something, 2001. And at the time, nobody knew who the fuck Duco 2 was, and nobody cared. I mean, BRN60 is one of the biggest stories. It's kind of like um, there's a, a really popular wine in France that people emulate all the time. And they're like, oh, this dog, or this, this wine, they've sold more bottles of this wine than were ever produced. And Duco, like, there are a few wines, I think, that are still alive or that are still kind of like into the Duco side. But Duco's been dead for so fucking long that 
I mean, it's just it, gone. <laughs> yeah, and at the time, and so the trick was, and Eric, we need to have Rob, the guy that owned the guy that owned Duco Two's name is Rob, and we need to have him on the podcast to talk about him. But you know, at the time, that dog was nothing special. Um, he was not a he was not a special dog, and you'll even hear Rob talk uh, when you talk to Rob about him. He was like. You know, he lived in the house, and he was like a fucking normal-ass fucking dog. Like, he wasn't just some fucking outsanely crazy specimen. Um, the one thing that he you did think outsanely? I think you said outsanely. Like, that's a new <laughs> word. Mark it down. That's a new Ted. Well, uh, that's the new one. Outsanely. <laughs> I think what he did do was reproduce the himself. New uh, yes, exactly. He reproduced himself very well. So he was a very good producer, which is what made him very popular. So they knew that they could breed him to other females, or in pretty much any good female, and the puppies that turn out great. I have a dog right now that is a fairly closely, you know, to Duco, fantastic patrol dog, bad motherfucker, right? Um, 127-pound Malinois, huge dog, and uh, fairly closely related to Duco. And um, dog's name, dog, the dog's BRN is 27195. You can go look him up. And uh, we've brought him twice. The puppies are fucking garbage. I know why they sold him. Because he has no value other than biting fools and finding drugs. Which is great, because that's what I need. So, I, But I got this dog, and I'm like, why the fuck are they selling? I know why. His puppies are trash. Terrible. They can't produce. Had, no, can't produce himself. We had two litters, uh, 20 puppies total. We had one male, and they all were pretty not good at all. I like that's the thing that I, I i like about like uh i mean obviously i don't know if you guys work with a lot of them but like you know devil dogs um like for me like i, I mean we produce with gold coast like the rodney's we in the first litter we did with them it was we did eight dogs and all eight dogs worked and you know they they're all consistent in it and then you know obviously we produce after that but i mean like you know devil for the most part I feel like it's been a pretty consistent producer for us, at least. Have you, have you guys been working with any of them? Well, uh, we have a Tony Montana son at the kennel right now. Which How's that Tony going? Montana, uh, <laughs> he's special. <laughs> he, how's, how's he's, a special uh, he's a special animal. Um, he likes to bite people. That's his favorite pastime. Uh, he likes to chase things. Um, he's a nice dog. Uh, he, he's a very, um, he's a very nice dog. I also had a devil dog, uh, or what I think was at the kennel that had some issues that I wasn't too pleased with, but, um, namely the whole handler aggression thing, but I'm not sure if it's genetic or if it was handler created or if it was Trent created, but by and large, um, they have a shell out of drive and they're environmentally sound. And they're typically healthy and big, which is what we want. So, big monsters. Eric, anything? Yeah. No, I I own a um, a, a Dutch Shepherd named Ruzo. That's oh, yeah. he's down in Tennessee. He's down in Tennessee. I sold Ruzo as a uh, dual purpose patrol dog to an agency in Tennessee. He bit a backup officer and a sergeant and uh, was fired. So. Um, I took ownership. I left him with the handler. She and I are good friends, and she has him down there. And I'm telling you right now, I, I'm I'm probably biased, but I think Russo is the best Dutch Shepherd in the United States myself. 
Um, he's done two litters, bangers, all of them, all of them, just big, giant, driving meatballs. Uh, uh, Ruzo's unbelievable. Um, so we're going to be doing more more breeding with him coming up. I don't get into all that shit. I literally don't get any of the puppies or anything like that. I charge a breeding fee. Um, people can collect them if they want. Um, because uh, unlike Ted likes to say, I hate, he'll go, I hate puppies. I'm not trying to I say that. Puppies. I'm not a Satanist. I'm not like a, you know, a, a psycho, but um, I just don't want to do a puppy. So I don't do, so the hand, the, the girl who has them, she takes them places and we do the breedings. Um, Daniel Morris down in Texas got a great litter out of him. And there's a lady named Carla in Tennessee that's got a real nice litter from him. And they're just drivey psychos, man. I love that dog. And um, because I'm nobody, uh, nobody knows him. And I'm telling you, he's better than almost every every Dutch Shepherd you'll ever meet. That's the same thing with that dog I have right now, who's sort of unsold. Um, I'm going to breed him to a female I got from Kindle that is part of the Van Leeuwen lines. So it'll be a nice outcross. And we'll see. But. Nice. <laughs> There you go. I have to, uh, I have to put you guys in front of uh, Ozzy one day here pretty soon. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, your that's, mistake is that you sent pictures. No I sent uh, I sent Eric a picture of him puncturing the camp while he didn't sleep. I was like, uh, <laughs> it's like another, awesome. not the first one. It was another. Another, yeah. And then no. nope. Wilson uh, just Wilson sent me a special fabric suit. Like the one that's like puncture and stab proof or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Ozzy just got through that, so that's been that's been fun. Yeah, so, sure. Sign, sign me up. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, another <laughs> another gnarly devil son. I'm like, oh, it's so so much fun. <laughs> Plus, being wrecked by the muzzle hits has been it's been a great time doing this. It uh, sure looks. Yeah, it's been it's been a great time. <laughs> so. All right, we're getting into Q and A's now, um, and I know this is gonna be a fun one for both of you guys. But um, because I do a lot of personal protection work, uh, a lot of people ask me the question about transfer bites or and all these other things. So <laughs> <laughs> obviously, <laughs> obviously, they're, they're, it, it, it's it's bad for multiple reasons. Um, but what I would like to have you guys explain as far as you guys are in law enforcement, you guys do this stuff like, constantly. And you guys, you know, know, you know, the repercussions of policy and procedure wise and everything like that. Go ahead and explain uh, and use the danger of a dog popping off, you know, and, you know, being exposed again. So go ahead and um, I'll let whoever wants to go first on this one. Just uh, take a hold. I'll, I'll jump first real quick. So um, the, the transfer bite thing is is um, transfer bites is this supposed system where the dog's on this bite. And then this guy, this hand comes around with a weapon. The dog lets go and bites this. And then if this comes around with a weapon, they bite. They bite that. They bite whatever the offending appendage is. Right? Um, it doesn't work for law enforcement. It's no good. Um, these guys who do this uh, training, and they're saying they're training police dogs, but they sell no police dogs. And no. they um, or very they, very few. Yeah, very few. They said they try to say that they're uh, that. Dogs are getting murdered all over the United States while they're on a on a grip. It's not true. Fake, made up, bullshit wording. 
bullshit. They have no statistics. It's fake. It's not true. Um, that's a person who has never had a dog in a fight for real on the street, under a porch, biting a dude inside his armpit, pulling his bicep muscle out of the hole in his arm, trying to say that I will stab and kill your dog while he's biting me. I bet you don't. I bet you don't. So what it is, is mostly I find is it's an excuse made up by guys who have weak ass bullshit dogs, horrible, terrible dogs. Um, so I'm sure there are some trainers here in this country that are training uh, the training guys to do that, that uh, transfer bites that are awesome killer dogs. There's probably a few of them. They stay in their lane and they, they you know, and they're doing whatever. But like this, this fuckhead up in Canada who's training this bullshit, his dogs are garbage. Or his they're videos. Terrible. They're he, terrible. He probably has sold a couple decent dogs, but his videos are terrible, horrible, nerve bag, pussy ass bitch dogs. <laughs> Hand biting sissies. Um, right, I, mean, I got to agree. That's it. Right. That's, that's, that's how garbage. that started. That's how that started is an excuse for your bitch ass dog letting go. You know, guys trying to, there are guys that make claims that their dogs can tell the difference between a gun and a cell phone. Fuck you. You can, that's bullshit. Are you kidding me? That dog can't tell the, the difference between his butthole and the other dog's butthole next to him. And you're <laughs> going to tell me he can tell whether you pulled out a lethal weapon or a cell phone? Guy, human beings fuck that up. Yeah. All the time. Cops are shooting dudes with cell phones. They thought it was a gun. And you think a dog is supposed to? Come yeah, on. and on top of and on top of that, you know, they're like, oh, they're taught to fight the man, they're taught to fight this and fucking. So here's the trick: like we have some of the best fighters in the world, you know, Evander Holyfield, um, Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao, all the MMA like some of the MMA guys. The best people in the world have trouble reading human intentions. That's why they get punched in the fucking face. Meanwhile, we have an animal that wants to lick its own asshole and eat cat shit no matter how well it's trained. But we're supposed to believe that some fuck face in Canada or Utah or wherever that other dickhead is, <laughs> is going to be, or there you go, is going to be able to train an animal to read human intentions. So that's my first problem. One, it's anthropomorphism, which is fucking stupid. The second portion of it is Eric mentioned, right? Like, so the dogs are constantly looking for an out. Um, they're constantly looking for another target to come through. When they do that, grip suffers, right? So in law enforcement, because of Florida versus Harris, because of Kerr versus West Palm Beach, and because of some other cases I'm not going to mention that are coming up in some of the other circuits about the damage it's caused, um, you end up with a paper trail of a dog that isn't serving a purpose in, in, as far as law enforcement goes, is it actually a liability in terms of damages caused and in terms of biting backing officers. So, you know, if you're constantly waving your fucking arm around like a fucking ninja, the dog is going to transfer. So, which is terrible because of that, the dogs have a terrible grip because they're constantly expecting to, um, to transfer to another appendage or whatever else. So the secondary portion of this is that typically the grips tend to be pulling, which is bad for equipment, which is bad for teeth. And I was just in Indianapolis last week doing a decoy school. Um, they have some dogs that are going to be retired uh, because their backs are bad from pulling for their entire career. 
Um, so, you know, you start looking at the wear and equipment, the wear on teeth, the wear on backs, and admins love spending money on dogs. They don't. They don't like spending money on equipment. They don't like spending money on dogs. They don't like sending dogs to the dentist. Fuck you guys. Fuck Canada and everything else. All you guys do is cost us money. You train all the time. So the like the ramifications down the line are that a dog that transfers is also a liability and an apprehension situation. So in reality, when a dog bites somebody, two things happen. One, we verbally recall the dog and we then move in as an arrest team and we fucking cuff the dude up. Or you roll up and you cuff him under power, which means that you fucking shit slam him to the ground and you cuff that motherfucker and then you take the dog off. The problem with that is that anytime a dog sees an appendage swinging in, it becomes a secondary target. And I have an actual story about this. So in a department close to here, they weren't doing actual transfer targeting, but they were teaching a dog to out because the dog had outing problems. So they were teaching him to transfer from one decoy to the other. So I said, you don't see that like this is going to cause an issue. And of course I wasn't a police officer, so I didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. So literally six days later after this, uh, they have a bite with one of these dogs, dog transfers and bites a backing officer then transfers and bites the handler as he comes to try to take control of the dog. Meanwhile, shitbag gets up and runs off oh, into the night. He then gets tracked again and gets bitten by one of my dogs who does it correctly. So the dog then ends up biting three people in one night because he thought that he was supposed to out and move, not because it was a transfer bite, but because that's how they were teaching the dog to out. They were doing the bouncing decoy game too close. So you end up creating liabilities. And at that point, admins really love when dogs bite backing officers, right? Ask Eric about Ruzo. That's how yeah. he's fucking fired. So not from transfers, just because that dumbass stuck his hand in his mouth. So, you know, and then the other portion of this too is that Eric is 110% correct. You're hiding nerve issues. You're hiding dogs that aren't shouldn't be there in the first place. And then, so when people talk about how the dog protecting himself, like, we call these canine teams. So when we do HRD, there's a lot of scenarios. That in, yeah, when we do HRD, there's a lot of scenarios that involve uh, the handler as well. So we're asking the handler to be involved in fighting with somebody with the dog. So when you send the dog by himself and he transfers and does all this other fucking happy horse shit, you completely leave the human element out of it. So I tell people that advocate transfer bites, including the fuck faces in Canada, and that goofball in Montana, I'm like, do you really think that your dog or that a, one of your dogs could combat me or, well, one of my dogs, uh, one of my dogs that doesn't transfer could combat me and the dog at the same time? You as a decoy. You as a decoy, like I send my dog to you, are you going to be able to handle the dog and me at the same time? Because I tell you, like as a law enforcement officer and my handlers, the dog's there, and you better believe you're getting rained elbows and fucking knees seconds after my dog gets there, and I'm going to fucking pound you. So, yeah. and can you, you're going to pay, as Eric says, you're going to pay the fucking tax. You're getting fucking, you're getting dropped. So, are you going to fight with me and the dog? And they yeah, kind of look at me, like, because we can do it. I mean, and we do it. We do a, and we do a scenario in HRD called the island, and it is specifically that. And they don't have an answer for it because it's fucking, it's a scam. It's snake oil and it's a fucking smoke and mirrors. It's bullshit. There's a dude. There was one of them guys saying, um, and, and I used to watch his videos 
and I was like, oh, these are cool. A lot of it was just environmental stuff, rope bridges and so on. Cool, man. Great. I love that stuff. Then, then he posted a video, this is several years ago, of his dog supposedly dodging bullets. He was shooting a rifle at the dog. Wide round. Downrange. Handler was downrange. <laughs> shooting live. at his friend, by the way. He said live, probably simunition, but maybe not. He's shooting a rifle at the dog, and he's just shooting on either side. But he says what the dog the is dodging the bullet. I'm like, you, you're fucked. You're, you're gone. I'm done with you. He had rec specs on, though, so it was cool. They have yeah. massive <laughs> followers, too. But, oh and, and again, all of the transfer bite people, all of them say the same thing. Dogs are, uh, police dogs are murdered all over the United States while on a bite. They get stabbed and shot. Absolutely not true. It is not no. true. And that's, well, a, that's, that's a, a, true. There that's might be one or two. Eric says it best. If your dog gets shot, it should be a fucking surprise. Dog calls are not dog, or dog, gun calls are not dog calls. And if you suspect somebody is armed, Dogs there for location only. Then you gas them or you fucking you shoot them. I mean, we don't send dogs knowingly to armed suspects in law enforcement, military, different deal altogether. But in law enforcement, we do not knowingly send dogs down line to suck up rounds. They're not there. That's not what it's for. I mean, I mean, the one thing that they have on their time on their hand on their side is is time. They can literally just gas the fuck out of somebody and wait. We don't do that. That's not what the dogs are there for. They're there to find somebody and eliminate areas where somebody's not hiding. And then we gas the shit out when they come out. But dogs are not sent to fight with people with fucking guns. Well, it's that's, a, that's like the one thing we deal with a lot with like when it comes to like personal protection. Because you know, a lot of people have like an issue with personal protection dogs and all this other stuff. But like we live in a state where you know, even guns are limited. To people here, so like for me, like I, you know, we deal with a lot of different personal protection dogs. So that's the one question I always gets. Like, okay, cool. Like, you know, we have a personal protection dog, but you have to learn how to personally protect your dog as well. So you got to be in the fight. You got to learn how to, you know, the dog's got your back on this point, but you have to learn how to defend your dog too. You know, like go through there and you know maintain that subject, you know, the the perp and all that stuff, and you know handle them to get them obtained so you don't. You limit one the liability legally because you know it's obviously it's a huge liability, but two you let you limit the damage to your dog um, that's going to happen you know during a fight in general. So like that's like one of the things I always like tell people is like you know hey like you're not just sending this dog to completely clear out the situation. This is just part of the, the part of the process of helping you be safe and you know just you know what, what you guys do with law enforcement what you guys perfectly explained. Is it, you know, it's it's part of the process of actually, you know, <laughs> handling it. It's not the end-all, be-all. Yeah. I have a question for the people that are watching this. Do I look fat in this? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. See, that's awesome. <laughs> yes. I feel like I do. Anyways. <laughs> you just look like, you, like you're puffy on the chest, bro. Right, that's what it is. All right. Uh, next question. Preferable uh, dual purpose or uh, single purpose dog? I I assume they mean like single purpose, not dark detection only. So like one job, like one thing, right? Yep. Or like one dog, one job. So yep. it's really common in um, 
like Europe, right? So like in Holland and Belgium and France and all these other places um, where all these dogs come from, uh, they have a very small population. Uh, they have a very small land mass. Uh, and it's very easy for them because they, and they have a lot of resources relative to that. So they put in positions where they have a dog that tracks and they have a dog, you like one handler, like, so our buddy yours, um, you know, Eric and I have a buddy named yours who is Belgian special forces. He lives in the United States and I live in San Antonio. Um, but you know, they have dogs that track dogs that find drugs, dogs that find bombs, dogs that bite fuckheads, and then dogs that find currency dogs that like they have and in, and one handler may handle several dogs. Um, they are in a resource-rich environment, so um, they are not dog poor, to put it that, to put it mildly. So, when you look at the United States, it's fundamentally a different way that we police here. Every department, with the exception of like LAPD, LA County, like giant fucking cities, every department is fucking strapped for money. They're always strapped for money. They always bitch about it. Like it's always a thing, right? And so when you look at canine as a whole in the united states they're primarily used as a tool for detection whether it be contraband explosives human beings and then as an additional thing use of force so we have to stretch the amount of money as far as possible so it doesn't make sense now there are i mean i've met in fact in indiana we were just there there were several guys up there that they handled single purpose by dogs and it's just that's the way the department does it. So keep in mind that they're fairly close to a giant vendor, which also helps. So, you know, and there are places in the country that have single purpose bite dogs. There are places that have single purpose tracking dogs. But a vast majority of dogs in the country are single purpose narcotics or they are single purpose or dual purpose narcotics and apprehension. And that is to stretch the amount of money that that resource expends over the greatest amount of time and the greatest amount of usage. So ideally, yeah, I would love to be like, yeah, one handler needs three dogs because I'm in the business of selling dogs. But that's not the reality of the situation is the way that the United States produces. What do you see, Eric, in that? Dual purpose. I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, if they're a patrol, if they're to work the road in a car, not a school resource, not at a courthouse or something like that. I don't understand not having dual purpose. It makes no sense. Yeah. There's still old trainers that say you cannot have a dual purpose explosive dog. Yeah. Fuck out of here. Meanwhile, Afghanistan and Iraq and every special oh, operation. Filled with them. Yeah. Right, filled. Filled, I mean, like, literally, like, the, the multi-purpose canine program in any branch of special operations kind of, like. Yeah. But that guy will tell <laughs> That guy will tell his bosses that they'll buy it because they don't know. So yeah. I, I do see there are a lot of agencies, bigger ones that use single purpose bite dogs. Okay, that's cool. I get it. But uh, single purpose um, detection dogs that just work the street make no sense. Zero sense. And this is going to offend a lot of people, but I don't see the point in the hounds. Yeah, well, for law enforcement. Yeah, I don't see rescue. Search and rescue. rescue, Yeah, you guys are awesome. You should all have whatever dog you want, but I don't see the point in a guy working the street with a um, dog that tracks human beings and doesn't bite. And there's that's a whole other thing. There's a whole group of people that don't believe 
that the tracking dog should actually be biting the person that they find. Um, that's not realistic, in my opinion, in law enforcement. They want you to find that dude and apprehend him. This whole thing with the uh, proximity alerts and all that, that's, that's great. It's just not realistic as far as the expectations of the law enforcement agency. They want you to find the guy, bite him, dudes go up and, and arrest him. That's what they want, period. Um, I just don't, the, the, um, the hounds, the tracking hounds, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I see a lot of guys down south I see pictures, you know, friends of mine will post pictures of dogs in their group that are that are tracking criminals, hounds, and they find them. Yeah. Awesome. Come on, man. I tracked, I worked a dog for three years who wouldn't bite. And I tracked a lot of motherfuckers with that dog and found a lot of people. And it's unbelievably dangerous when I'm the one who's there with them and I have to fight that dude and I have a... a uh, a three-year-old toddler that doesn't talk, running around me, wrapping me up in the leash, licking my face while I'm fighting the dude. Stop. Dual purpose. And yeah, and it's it's one of these. It's a resource question too. Um, you know, it's one of those, like you know, because you know, we hear a lot of it about well, not anymore, but like the bark and hold thing versus find and bite, and then. You know the whole tracking dogs that don't bite thing and there's a pervasive myth that a tracking dog that doesn't bite won't or a tracking dog that bites won't save you no you're right they won't especially with somebody that's armed but you there's no sense in room and having a tool there and removing that option of force that is very valuable and then you effectively also remove the handler so great you've tracked him and you've found him and you've done this shit and at this point now, the handler is sort of worthless. I mean, he, he there's there's no reason for him to even fucking be there anymore. And um, he he's managing the dog, which is his job. I mean, he's a fucking canine handler. I mean, Eric and I say that all the time during HRDs. I'm like, you're a canine handler, not a canine announcement maker. You're a canine handler. You're not. I mean, you you cannot handle a dog and shoot at the same time. You get guys in like top tier military units that are the best murderers in the world. And not even those motherfuckers can handle a dog and shoot somebody. And that's their job. Their only job is to kill people. Like, well, I mean, for the most part. And, you know, I mean, so expecting a normal police officer to be able to track a felon and then have to get engaged in a gun battle with a dog that doesn't bite is just fucking beyond me. And, well, yeah. And, I mean, that's the thing. So there's a lot of people that rely on and people that I respect and that are really good at what they do. And, um, but I just fundamentally disagree. I, I don't agree with or like teaching dogs to tr in law enforcement, search and rescue completely different, but in law enforcement, I do not believe in teaching a dog to track that will not bite somebody. And I just don't because then no matter how, what some fucking captain or under sheriff or whoever tells you, they'll promise you all day long. Oh, we won't use them to track felons. Motherfucker be out of school for a week and some dickhead will run and get stopped here by the troopers. And they're like, call the dogs, go track him. And then, so then the handler is stuck out there with some trooper with a gun, with a long rifle that's never tracked before in his fucking life. And is too worried about watching the dog and they're tracking somebody that should be shot. So now it might as well just be one dude out there with a rifle. So no, I don't believe in fucking doing that. And then, uh, 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 speaking of that, uh, narcotics, you know, dual purpose narcotics dogs. 
um, as far as being able to be able to detect and bite. What do you guys think about that? Yes, it's, Real, that's uh, the yeah. point. Yes, yeah. there's thousands of them. That's the thing. Um, you will do, you know, probably, I should now. I was going to say you do more of the, the, the sniffing part, but I don't actually think that's true. Um, our dogs on a, on a shift, so my department, seven dogs, uh, six are dual purpose, one's a single purpose uh, drug dog. He works in a task force. All he does is packages. So I get it. Um, but the dual purpose dogs, because I worked them on the street, we do more building clearings, alarm clearings, all shift long than the sniffing part. Yeah. Um, single purpose, single purpose dope dog. If you worked on I-95 and you were strictly on a drug task force. Okay. Maybe I still think you should have, I'm a big believer in having not need big believer in it. If you never bite anybody, at least you had the, the ability of need be because the yeah. handlers want to work, right? Like he was saying, like Ted was saying, you get that dog out and he's a single purpose, non-biting dog. Uh, we're not going to track felons and then a felon runs and that handler wants to work. He wants to do stuff with his dog. So he's going to track that dude. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't see the point in it. I so, would rather, you know, they're going to be single purpose. I'd rather see them just be single purpose bite dogs. Yeah. Single purpose bite dogs all the day. But I, I mean, but I, you know, that's my thing anyway. Like I'm a good detection trainer because I have to be, but I mean, one of my local dogs, um, I'm going to show you this text. This text was sent to me last night at, I don't know, about 1130, well, about almost midnight. And you can see there is 178.3 grams of some unidentified substance. Two nights before that, there is also 180.3 grams of an unidentified substance, which I'm assuming is meth or coke. That dog um, is in the county that my parents and my sister live in. And he's also part of the Marshall task force and his handler is part of the SWAT team. That dog has over 30 bites and fucks people up on the regular. And that dog is the most versatile resource that that department has short of a patrol car. And it is the only resource that can be used to find narcotics, find people, be a use of force option. I mean, what the fuck does a firearm do? Yeah, same thing. Uh, what the fuck does pepper spray do? What the fuck do handcuffs do? There is only one out of every tool that is available to law enforcement, maybe outside of a helicopter or a car. The canine is the most versatile tool that is available to law enforcement. End of story. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, like, I've got, like, I mean, this dog's last bite was one that, I mean, this was his last bite. <laughs> so, like, the dog is a use of force option. They find people. They find drugs. Done deal, right? So it's a force multiplier. And you're effectively limiting the amount of time and money you're expending, searching for people, searching for contraband, and dealing with um, attorneys after the fact. So can I Oh, the canine is always going to be important. Well, that's the one thing. Like, I've I've, I've always kind of like constantly talked to like the the counties and the people that we're uh, we deal with. I'm always like, you know, it's like you're investing all this money and like 
you know, lethal, you know, guns and all this other stuff and training. It's like, but you can invest a lot more money into like actually canine training where you can detain somebody, use it, and it's the most versatile way of doing it. Like you literally can, you know, send a dog on drugs and then all of a sudden, like, you know, the dog has the same way to apprehend and you can use pain compliance to do all those things. So, I mean, like, that's one of the cool things. I, I That's one of the things I love about like what you guys do is that, you know, we're, we're kind of expanding and broadening the horizon when it comes to uh, canine training. All right. So this is probably a question more for uh, Eric. Uh, the differences between uh, canine training and pet training. Um, I mean, obviously, there's a, there's a lot. There's you should say more. I think it would be better the similarities between the two. Um, similarities. Yeah. So because the, the differences can be can be quite vast. We, we tend to let the um, canines get away with a lot more because we want them to be a little bit um, wild, so to speak. Like the, the two six-month-old GSPs I have in the kennel right now um, are fucking assholes. And yes, Katie is right in the Pet training pays more. True. Um, but uh, so the, the differences or the similarities would be um, some of the some of the behavioral problems that the dogs have are caused by the pet owners are also caused by the dog handlers. Um, the, we talked about this in something else yesterday, that too much affection and too much freedom of movement, um, letting a dog, uh, a canine sleep in your bed. Now, listen, again, it's, it's just like everything. Uh, if your dog has no behavioral problems, okay, great. But like the leash reactivity in police dogs that we think are just aggressive asshole police dogs is, are actually dogs that are struggling mentally because they're not getting enough mental stimulation. There's too much freedom of movement. Their kennel's too big, not enough time in the crate, not enough time doing duration downs and that type of stuff. Um, all pet dogs are all the same, but we put up with more of it on the police dog side because we think that's what they're supposed to do. Trust me, I didn't know any of that. I, I have all those dogs in my training group that you're the dog's coming in to do a detection problem and everybody has to get out of the way. He's, he's going to take cheap shots and tag people. Um, maybe. But he sure acts like it on a leash. We think the dog's just an asshole, but he's actually just reactive, right? Like uh, this little dickhead right here, right? He looks like a 30-pound police dog on leash when I got him. He goes off on everything, everybody and everything. And you'd be like, wow, you're a little asshole. You're a mean, little nasty. He's actually not mean, right? Same with the police dogs. Some of the dogs, some of the police dogs, man, if if the handlers would change some of the relationship things at home, would probably actually be a lot easier to manage and would be are more social than they think. Like there's a dog, for example, that, that retired from my department uh, a couple months ago, my old department. He had a bunch of street fights and things like that and was a douchebag at training days. Like just an asshole on the ship at training, like a motherfucker. But if you went to his house, he'd let you pet his stomach and, and play with him. And I mean, he wasn't, but the, but the handler, he didn't know, you know what I mean? And, and I didn't really know, to be honest with you. And, um, 
he was he had a 10 by 20 kennel and was getting tons of uh, fenced in yard freedom just running for hours in the in the fenced in yard you know all the pet dog crap um there's small changes that a handler could make good because listen i worked one of those dogs it sucks it's a pain in the ass and it's like dude we're going to go do article searches and you're and you're ready to murder everybody around you. you know what i mean but then you come to the house and he's good to go so it's just so i should say the similarities that problem the mental problems are the same um and uh but you know the, the differences obviously are that the difference in the the canine world versus the pet world is we get the canines who will work for a, a ball a toy or food whatever they'll do anything so you kind of get spoiled that way they'll do anything um like this dude here he'll work for food even though he's fearful and afraid of everything and and all his bullshit, dude is voracious for food. This guy, he won't do shit for nothing. He's afraid <laughs> for everything. So you know you have to get you have to get more creative. You have to get a little bit better at it. Um, and sorry, I love that dude. That dude's the place champ. He's been here 22 hours today. <laughs> love it. Fly, that's like my dog, Marilyn. <laughs> yeah, this doesn't move. But so that's pretty much it. Um, and. Um, I, I don't know. And the big, one of the big things is when you're on both sides of the house is if you get a police dog and you're training him and he doesn't, he's just not going to work. The the department will get him another dog. But when you have the pet dog, that's their dog. There, there is no other dog. You yeah. have to fix that dog. So you have to get really good. Really good. A, you hear that noise? That's a weird noise. Yeah, you know, it's got, is that on your side, your side Ted? It's like, sounds like a mini bike starting up or a slow chainsaw. Right. <laughs> anyway, but that's it. That's pretty much it. And Ted, you, uh, you've you never been on the pet side, right? No, I don't really do pets. Um, I We've done a few here and there, but I definitely do not. Um, like, I, I don't have a facility. I mean, we have a facility, but I don't have a facility like Eric. Um, we don't. I'm not open to the public. Like I don't. We get, we get like inquiries. I don't do personal protection. Um, Me neither. And you know, and I mean, I have in the past, but it's been very um, like specialized circumstances that 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 I'll do it. But like I don't. I yeah, we don't. Um, Generally, and on top of that, Oklahoma is really weird too. Um, I don't even refer people. I'm like, I just don't do it. Like, I'm just not interested in doing it. Um, I don't do pet stuff. I don't do because we're busy enough with just law enforcement. And I'm like, all right, well, I mean, you want me to train your dog for personal protection? It's mainly personal protection or for uh, pet stuff. And I'm like, I don't have the staff to do it. The staff that I have are worried about detection because, you know, single purpose work is what pays uh, single purpose detection is what pays the bills. I mean, we, you know, I mean, rarely do we get a chance to train single purpose bite dogs. Um, we train a fuck ton of single purpose drug dogs. And oh, nice. So, you know, I mean, if I got to pull somebody off of that to train a dog to sit and shit outside and I'm like, <laughs> you, know I mean? you know, as much as I would love to help you and it's not my thing. Now pet shit, I do have friends that I refer them to locally, but uh, it's not my thing. Um, 
I don't do it. And I tell people all the time, I'm not even, I'm definitely not a well-rounded trainer. Um, I'm a good trainer as long as it involves finding stuff or biting people. But people are like, how do you fix dog aggression? Like that's a thing now, like in canine, right? Like, or in dog, like we fix dog aggression. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, how do you do I'm, not, I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. I mean, you know, and it's like thing people hang their hat on, like, oh, I can fix dog aggressive dogs. I'm like, why? Like, why fucking bother? Like, just don't let them interact with other fucking dogs. Like, that's my, I, have, I own a dog. He's in my bedroom right now. He's a total cocksucker. He's nine years old. That motherfucker has tried to kill every dog he's ever come in contact with. You know how I trained him? I didn't. I just don't let him interact with other dogs. <laughs> he managed. Problem fucking solved. And he's great. Like, he was out, he was out here a minute ago. Like, and he's out right now. Like, he's a completely social with human beings. He is just not social with other dogs and animals in general. So, I mean, he kills anything. He's killed cats, squirrels, goats. Like, he's an asshole. But I just, I, I am like, oh, you know, like, and it kind of goes to this whole thing. Like, oh, all dogs can be rescued and fixed. And I'm like, no, nah, that's not my thing. I, I mean, I'm sure that there are. Right? I don't, I can't speak intelligent on it. But I know there's probably somebody watching this that's going to be fucking mad. But... <laughs> oh, I mean, but, like, that's, like, that's the cool thing about it is, like, I don't care. <laughs> perspectives in it. I mean, like, he has obviously right. thriving, like, what you guys do. Like, for me, like, I fix that stuff all the time. Right. So, like, you know, yeah, like, I, those are, you know, the different avenues. But do I work with, you know, fucking 100 law enforcement teams? Absolutely not. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't do that whatsoever. I don't know the first thing about fixing a dog, aggressive dog. I don't need to. It's not part of my skill set. I mean, it's just not. And it's not yeah. anything I need. Yeah. So, and they're also very rare. Yeah, yeah, and that too. Dog aggressive versus dog reactive, that's a whole other thing too. Uh, so this is the question I got just recently right now. Um, thoughts on personal protection dogs. So they asked me this and I've asked this. Thoughts on personal protection dogs. So I've been asked this multiple times uh, and a lot of different like law enforcement trainers have different uh, thoughts on it. Um, I'm, I'm from California, so we have the literally the fucking most strictest gun rules ever. So, you know, personal protection dogs are, you know, one of the things that we focus on uh, consistently. But, you know, that's what that, the question was, was, you know, thoughts on personal protection dogs. Okay, so um, over here on this end of the country in the eastern time zone, the vast majority of personal protection dog trainers are scam artists. They're just training nasty, mean piece of shit dogs. Um, and they're selling them to broke ass motherfuckers who could not afford the legal problems if they actually bit someone. Right? It's different if somebody broke in your house. Dude, I, if you break into my house, you're never leaving. Right? It, you're never leaving. Um, I don't care if you surrendered when I woke up, you're never leaving. But these guys that, that cause, cause what I find with people that own personal protection dogs is they do dumb shit and they want to show off to their friends and they want to show what their dog does and they bite that they're not supposed to bite. And I don't know about out there. So like I'm real good friends with the Rodneys, right? Their dogs cost a lot of money because they sell them to people that can afford the dumb shit. They sell yeah. them to people that can afford to come down to their place every two weeks and do 
or whatever it is, do their maintenance, do their follow, follow along with it. Got, I mean, that's why they're, you know, the amount of money that they are. But on the East Coast, they're cheap, they're bullshit. It's just a guy standing up against a fence with his dog being defensive. That's it. That's what they show over and over and over again. So I don't do personal protection. I won't do any bite work with civilian dogs whatsoever. My insurance department, my insurance agency will drop me. They told me because I train police dogs, no personal protection dogs. So I keep a $2 million policy so I can bid on some contracts and I can't. It took me forever to find them. So I yeah, I had not. We have a similar policy. And um, so when people come to me, so Oklahoma, uh, so, you know, I'm just north of Texas for uh, those that don't know where I'm at. So Oklahoma has a very, um, a very storied uh, castle wall. So you break into somebody's house, you're going to get fucking shot for the most part in Oklahoma. Um, so much so that they'll give you a medal here. Like you shoot somebody in Oklahoma, somebody breaks into your house. I mean, they'll give you the key to the city. And um, district attorneys, you know, are reluctant to file charges, rightfully so. Um, and you know, it's kind of one of those things. And when people call me and they're like, you know, I want a law enforcement dog, or I want a personal protection dog, I might just buy a Glock or a shotgun and invest the money in shooting, because you know, at this point. Oklahoma is 100% at fault state. And this is what a lot of people don't understand. So when a police dog bites somebody, and Eric can tell you about this, you're still at fault for the damage that's happened, just like any use of force. So if they choose to sue, no matter what the use of force is, they have to determine if you have qualified immunity or not, which means that they have to determine if your damage, whether it be shooting, tasing, biting them with a police dog, whatever it is, is justified under your official duties as a police officer, right? And whether they were justified given the circumstances under Connor, uh, Graham versus Connor and some other shit. So um, when we start looking at that, you know, police officers are tasked with arresting people and using dogs as a means of use of force. So they are generally granted qualified immunity. In a normal situation, you take the police officer portion out and you bite somebody in the same situation, you're going to get fucking sued. So law enforcement dogs are trained and like they hunt human beings. So we go and find people that are trying to actively evade us, whereas personal protection dogs are effectively defending people that are allegedly being accosted. Right. So my whole thing is, if that's the case in Oklahoma, you just fucking shoot them. Right. We, we shoot people here. And like it made national, it made world news. We kill people here. Like you break into our house, we're gonna fucking shoot you. End of story. And same thing with Texas. You play fuck around in Texas, they'll kill you. Play fuck around in Florida, they will fucking kill you. So a dog is a lot more expensive than a firearm. So what the other portion of this that Eric is not really talking about is the people that can't own firearms for various reasons, and that they end up going to the dog side. The liability is still there. And you're still 100% at fault. So you bite somebody. I mean, if somebody break into my house right now, like I have two dogs that would absolutely try and murder them. But they probably would make it out of the house for various reasons. And if they manage to make it out of the house getting bit, they could sue me. And successfully so. They get shot and killed in my house, then, you know, shit happens. And it's like, here's your key to the city, citizen. Good job. 
and they give me a handshake and we go on our way. So the other portion of that too is um, the financial aspect. So Eric mentioned a little bit, but the other thing is, you know, we get paid anywhere from 15 to 20 something thousand dollars to train dual purpose dogs. Um, you know, and that, like we schedule a lot of block of time for that, right? So um, we have enough demand that um, I have a backlog. Like I'm constantly like rolling, dude. I have 17 dogs in process right now, uh, dual purpose dogs. So when a private person comes to me and they're like, I'm going to personal protection dog. I'm like, all right, well, I don't really have time. And if we did, it would cost this much because I'm taking a slot of time to work this dog to, um, for you. And this is what it normally, this is what this slot of time costs. On top of that, personal protection clients routinely are the most fucking impossible people to please. They want like dogs that do object guards and all kinds of fucking crazy ass bullshit and they don't want to fucking pay for it. So I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll do it for 50 grand. Right. And I've had one person take me up on it and I'm like, yeah, okay. But for the most part, I'm like, no, I mean, I'm not. Whereas in law enforcement, we have national or and or state certification standards and I teach handler schools and I know this and this and this and this and this and this is what we have to teach. I don't have to meet some fucking random ass standard that they saw on fucking YouTube. And they're like, well, my dog do this. And I'm like, cool, go find somebody to fucking do it. That's not my thing. And so uh, routinely what I find with personal protection people is their budgets don't meet their, like Eric mentioned, their ability to handle a lawsuit for qualified because they're not going to be granted qualified immunity. And two, people that don't have an expectation relative to their budget. So and they're like, oh, I know somebody can do it. I'm like, have at it. Hey, it's not my thing. I mean, go buy. A, I tell people, like, go buy a shotgun. Somebody breaks in your house, shoot him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> and go buy a dog. Go get a dog at the pound that fucking barks. Dude, that's like I the mean, one. Thing, that's like yeah. the one thing. It's like in California. It's like because we deal with so much. I mean, like the thing the the gun laws are so crazy here. Um, so like a lot of times now, it's like we you know we deal with a lot of people who are just aren't gonna wait that long. We deal with home invasions. You deal with all this other stuff. Uh, and like a lot of it's like okay cool like you know they want to buy a dog and I, i'm trying to teach them how to like deal with their dogs uh and you know teach the dogs to deal with that stuff too so like you know that's one thing that we deal with you know, quite a bit over here is like the personal protection aspect of it but making sure the dog is not a liability because like you know as like ted was saying you know ted you said just like you know there there's no granted immunity to this like literally if your dog bites you are subject to whatever the hell happens after that and there's right. no real like you know like okay i was defending my house but in california like it's literally sioux country so everyone can what, yeah, what's as happy is the was as sioux happy as the fucking ninth circuit is i can't imagine owning a dog that willingly buy i can't imagine the circumstances that would require me as a private citizen to bite somebody i get home invasions and all that other shit, but i I mean, in knowing that the fallout from that and just seeing what yeah. the quality, I mean, there is a case that happened recently in fucking San Diego. And, and I mean, recently, like it was just published just now in the Ninth Circuit. And they denied qualified immunity for a police officer that had a legitimate bite. It wasn't a Fourth Amendment violation, but they, I'm not really comfortable talking about why it was denied, but they denied qualified immunity for a legitimate bite. For a police officer. So you want to tell me 
that some fuckface breaking into your house and you get and you manage not to kill him, and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, you know, it's justified. No, I mean the fucking district attorneys and the court system in California is completely fucked, and it is. I would not. I mean, I don't live there, but I mean, I visit. And it's great. And I love it there, and one of our business partners live there, but. I can't imagine owning a dog that is trained to bite people. And because, uh, I mean, because of just, I mean, shitbags in California that commit crimes knowingly turn around and sue police officers, not even for canine, just in general for use of force. That's why like, you got, you got hurt being arrested. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, shit, I mean, what what do you, I mean, that, and, and they, and the Ninth Circuit allows it. And and then Ninth Circuit not only allows it, but they uphold a denial of qualified immunity in a lot of cases. There are some times when it should be. Like, I get it. Like, we don't bite people that we shouldn't bite. Like, I get it. Like, that's legit. But. That's why no one else anywhere in the country acknowledges the Ninth Circuit's rulings. Nobody. Eh, nobody goes they're, they're irrelevant everywhere else in the United States. Yeah, that's why uh, I've told uh, my you know my girlfriend who owns Aussie, uh, and then when I have like service. I was like you know same day. I was like you know whatever if they run in, they're not if they come in they're not leaving. I'm like <laughs> like that that's pretty much it. I was like come in the house, ain't leaving the house. Like that's that that's pretty much how it goes. You know especially with that stuff. You know because obviously like in California like everyone's so fucking you know sue happy like they wanted to break in and they get sued for fucking breaking through a window and all this other bullshit well, it's you know, now, yeah it's like you know it's like coming the house you're good like you know that's the one thing like you know we do with like a lot of our personal protection dogs because in that going back into you know the training of uh, of the dogs you know like when you come into when you train a law enforcement dog when you train you know per- pet when you train personal protection you know, for me, like, you know, when I when I do both of those things or even sport, you know, they're all adequately uh, indifferent. Like, you know, you have to kind of have to train separately, but train the same at the same time. You know, like, and, you know, that's like one of the big things, you know, it's, it's not the same perspective all the time. It's not the same, you know, training all the time. Like these dogs, you know, definitely need different things, um, you know, throughout the training. So I mean, like, that's one of like the cool things that I like bringing like with you guys on and um, you know, just like what we do and like, you know, what you guys do. I mean, like that, I think that's awesome. Let's see if we have anything else here. Yeah, I'm going to go out on my boat here shortly and do a night cruise. Oh, I know. I, me I'm and the super, wife. Super jealous of your guys' property now. Eric, I, I, I see that. Like, you, you guys live on a lake. <laughs> yeah, we live, we live in a lake here in Ohio and it's actually super cheap to live here. Um, it's pretty good. It's pretty cool. Ted's been here. It's not bad. No, it doesn't suck. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see, guys. I mean, should I, I think we should probably uh, close it out here. Um, but I, I, you know, I definitely thank you guys for being on this. You know, you guys are uh, definitely. I mean, as far as what you guys do, top of the line uh, on everything. Um, you know, with. Torchlight, Van S, HRD. Um, shout out to uh, Alicia with the working dog dry goods and you know yep. everyone else. You know I, I appreciate you guys for coming out and spending your time and spending whatever hour and fucking forty eight minutes with me uh, doing this stuff. And also appreciate you guys for donating to the um, 
uh, Primal Canine Food Program. Just to let you guys know, we've been serving around 15 families, which is, I mean, five times that. So whatever that is, um, every single week. So you know, it's it's definitely been helping out. But you know, I appreciate you guys for donating to that stuff, and you know, thanks for all the work that you guys do. Um, also, I need to go out there and see you guys, and um, I need yeah. to start working some dogs. So, no, I appreciate you guys for being on, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate you yeah. having us, man. Thank you. I like your format. It's good. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Hey, Mike, guys. I forgot. I wanted to ask you, are you, um, what's your nationality? I'm a variety. <laughs> so, uh, last, I, I, time, last time you and I did a live, I got about 200 new followers. Every single one of them was Iranian. <laughs> now, which is fine. That's great. But uh, I was like, Wow, I wonder if Mike's Iranian, and he's got a huge Iranian following. But, so uh, my my ex wife is Persian, oh she's yeah. Iranian. So like you know I have uh, you know that uh, my daughter's part Persian, but um, Samoan, Japanese, Walsh, Spanish, uh, and I think Puerto Rican or something like that. So I mean I don't even know. Um, I, I that's one of my documentaries there because I have a lot yeah. <laughs> large variety in the background. Yeah, it's pretty funny. So, all right, guys, thank you for having us, man. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks, guys. Yeah, sure. uh, and again, for people watching this, make sure you hit up uh, Working Dog Radio, Working Dog Drives, Good Torchlight, Van Ness, the whole entire crew. Um, you know, thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Mm -hmm.